You are listening to WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond, and this is RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. This is Melissa. I'm Jesse. And Francesca. And welcome to this week's edition of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. On the February 28th edition, we light up the soundboard to talk about the cigarette tax and to put out all the butts with <laughs> District Councilperson Parker Agilasto. <laughs> We're professionals. During city council deliberations about the meals tax on February 12th, Adelasto announced that he would be submitting an ordinance to an ordinance, an ordinance, an ordinance, an ordinance. During city council deliberations about the meals tax on February 12th, Adelasto announced that he would be submitting an ordinance to impose an 80 cent city tax on cigarettes. Ordinance 2018-031, henceforth will be known as the cigarette, ciggy, or cig tax, would add a new section to parts of city code to impose a tax of 4 cents per cigarette or 80 cents per pack, and the revenue from the tax would be credited to the special reserve fund for schools. This is the same special reserve fund that will be credited with the revenue from the 1.5% meals tax increase. Of note, the ordinance defines cigarette as any slender roll of cut tobacco enclosed paper and meant to be smoked, which means this is literally a cigarette tax, not a tobacco tax. Wait, wait, wait. Just the cigarette tax? What about blunts? Nope, can't tax it. Dylan rule. Pipe tobacco? Uh-uh. Nope, nope, can't do. Dylan rule? Black and mild cigarettes, chew. That's a big old tobacco field full of nope. Damn you, Dylan Rule! The cigarette tax was on the agenda at the February 15th meeting of the Finance and Economic Development Standing Committee. Committee members are Agilasto, 7th District Councilperson Cynthia Newbile, 9th District Councilperson Michael Jones, 4th District Councilperson Kristen Larson, and 2nd District Councilperson Kim Gray. Also in attendance was 8th District Councilperson Reva Trammell, who was not allowed to vote, but she was given an opportunity to speak. During citizen comment, a couple of people spoke in favor of the paper for health reasons and to help the schools. In addition, several people spoke in opposition of the paper for reasons ranging from Look at all the good Altria does! To but taxing cigarettes will cause Philip Morris to take all of those jobs away and the factories will shut down. Just look at Petersburg, would you? Two, this will kill the convenience store owners' profits and run them out of business. All of which were arguments very similar to those restaurant owners made to argue against the cigarette tax. For the meals tax legislation, committee members Newbile, Jones, and Agilasto voted in favor of the tax, while Gray and Larson were the lone no votes. So how did RVA government respond to taxing a different industry? Chief Administrative Officer Selena Cuffey-Glenn spoke on behalf of the administration, a.k.a. Mayor LeVar Stoney, and said Stoney does not support using a cigarette tax as a dedicated source to pay for bonds, which should in theory mean he's okay with using as a cash fund for the lower-cost school facility needs, but he didn't directly say that. Reva was all the way against it because of Philip Morris's contributions to her district and the financial impact to her constituents. Jones said he wished he could vote for this great legislation. However, during his campaign, he promised that he and Reva would stand together for Southside, and this tax would be harmful for the people in their districts. Gray and Larson were aboard the same old we-need-more-information train. Larson had questions about the tax ordinance wording and the potential uses for the money. Gray wanted more information from school board about the facilities plan as far as which schools they will build, and she wants to see a plan that calls for school consolidation, because according to Gray, a plan without consolidation is an irresponsible use of taxpayer dollars. Newbile thought that they had money on the table to start building with the meals tax, and instead of raising another tax, they should collaborate through the education compact to explore options such as historic tax credits. Agilasto made every case in the book to lobby for this tax to pass. However, the motion to forward the ordinance to council with no recommendation failed to pass on a 2-2 vote, with Agilasto and Larson voting yes. Eventually, the committee unanimously passed a motion to... Co- <coughs> oh, I was going to say bless you. I thought it was a sneeze. No. Sorry. All right. No blessings for you then. No. Nope. Eventually, the committee unanimously passed a motion to continue the ordinance to the next Finance and Economic Development Standing Committee on March 15th at 5 p.m. All right, so that brings us today um, to interview. We have our 5th District Councilperson, Parker Agilesto. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. He's the patron of the cigarette tax. So we'd like to welcome you. Thank you for joining us today. We have a handful of questions that we'd like to um, ask you, as well as some um, questions from our followers. So just diving right in, our listeners have heard a little flavor of how other council people feel about the tax, but we didn't hear much about your opinion yet. So why do you believe the cigarette tax should be passed? Well, I think the first and foremost is we constantly are talking about the facilities of our schools, and we're talking about how much money it's going to cost, whether it was Option 5 that was approved in 2015 and underfunded, mm-hmm. whether it's the new facilities plan, Phase 1, 2, 3, 4, however they're describing it. We know that we don't have enough funding set aside to accommodate for a citywide plan to renovate, modernize, replace, upgrade Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. whatever word you choose to use, <laughs> improve yeah. the physical plant of Richmond Public Schools. When we start looking at our options, the answer that I think is very clear at this stage of the City Council deliberation is that an option where there is no increase in revenue is not viable. Right. There are too many other needs in the city. People complain about the potholes and the conditions of the sidewalks, tripping on them, you know, creating mm -hmm. additional liabilities. We have to respond to all that in addition to schools. And therefore, if we can find new revenue sources that have not been tapped before and identify those solely, $1 comes in and $1 goes out and it's being restricted for the use of public schools. To me, that's where it, we're going to be better served to try to earmark. We did that with the meals tax. We also did that with the meals tax when it was approved for center stage. And we have four new schools that are getting uh, funded partly through that increase in the meals tax. This last uh, go-around brought onto the table $150 million for a facilities plan that currently is adopted by the school board for $750 million. Right. It's a drop in the bucket. Doing a cigarette tax in many ways is a, an option because when you look at what taxes the city already levies, this is the only major tax category that is available by the rights given to us from the General Assembly that the city does not levy. So if you're going to say, well, we've got a real estate tax of $1.20, let's raise it. We're already high. We want to raise the meals tax. We want to raise the admissions tax. We're already the highest in the region for any of that. Yet we don't have this other tax. It's not even on the table as an option. This brings in a different source of funding that we could potentially bring. Um, why is it put in at 80 cents per pack? I'll walk down a couple things quickly. Federal government taxes every single pack of cigarettes at a dollar and one cents, and we get one fiftieth of that. If you think about Virginia, we're we're just getting a portion. Virginia taxes thirty cents per pack, and we get whatever share it is that Richmond gets out of Virginia general fund, that which we know. They're telling us that with the local composite index, <coughs> we can afford to do more, so they're not going to give us the money. When you look at a local tax, what the Richmond City Council is being asked to, to adopt, there are over 600 localities across the country that impose a local tax, including nearly every major city in Virginia, and those taxes range from 50 cents onward up to $1.35. And of our peer group, the cities that we look to say our demographics are similar, our needs are similar, Norfolk, Newport News, they're all sitting in at 85 cents a pack. We could come in as a peer group at that rate and generate roughly uh, $5 million a year. If you look at a per capita spend of what Newport News or Norfolk is bringing in on an annual basis today, that would bring in about $5 million, the best forecast that we can give you, to fund Richmond Public Schools, whether it's on a facilities replacement or if it's simply maintenance. Both, both of which are needed. Lock the buildings, replace the molding tiles, you name it. The American Heart Association asked for a dollar a pack tax because at a dollar a pack tax, it proves that it will support smoking cessation, mm -hmm. getting people to actually quit. Frankly, that is the federal goal. The Center for Disease Control is saying, quit smoking. It's bad for you. It is a declining industry, cigarettes, and we know that that revenue won't be there. Forever. That's perfectly yeah. fine. Take advantage of it now while when we have, have the it. immediate need, while we'll still have it, to do the emergency maintenance that we constantly are hearing about in the Richmond Public School facilities. And if in 15 years it's not there, not available, so be it. We used it when we needed it the most, which yeah. is now. I will say one other thing. You would laid out a number of things, but a lot of people talk about that it's going to hit those lower income and the most vulnerable population, and I don't disagree with that. I really don't. I see it. I see the data. The reality, though, is we're all supporting the lowest income community. Smokers, however, are a choice, and from our paying taxes into Medicaid and other programs, a smoker and the cost of their choice to live an unhealthy lifestyle is costing us about $700 per household to cover their medical bills. When you look at whether a smoker is insured or uninsured, currently from some data that I got from the Richmond City Health District, the uninsured population is right now at like 35% are saying That's that they're high. smokers. So it's we're paying double mm -hmm. for them to have this option. And for them to pay a tax is almost them paying a service fee to pay into a system that is providing them health care. But That's we need it for schools. Yeah, we need it for something We need else. it to provide for homeless. We need it to provide for all sorts of other things to protect the vulnerable population. I think a part of, from that perspective, what we were speaking about, cigarette taxes are, in general, there's a group of people, and I'm kind of riding the fence as one of them, who definitely recognize how hard it is to talk about, I guess, taxing uh, addiction, because that's what it is, and without addressing it as that, 
And so that's what kind of makes it a little difficult for some people because because of what it is, because it's a nicotine addiction. People of lower income are usually targeted for one, and they also have the hardest time getting help. Um, we also talked about some things before um, your interview. We were speaking about how there are so many other options besides cigarettes that people can use for nicotine addiction. The statistics also show that lower income smokers are stuck on their pack, their brand. You know, they're going to continue to smoke that same brand or continue to smoke the same type. They're not going to switch to vaping or to black and miles or cigars or something different. Um, that's more of a millennial a younger thing that people will do. Um, and not everyone is able to just quit. When you look at the number, I think we discussed it was what, 30%? Like a 30% tax of what the pack of average pack of cigarette costs. You know, how impactful is that really going to be? Even if you, even if the tax was, let's say, a dollar. If I'm a smoker and I can't quit because I'm not addressing my addiction, is that dollar going to make me stop smoking or will it make me drive outside of Richmond if I have transportation to do so to buy my cigarettes? Which was brought up, I think, I think Kim Gray brought it up at some point. You know, we're not at a locality, which, and I think she talked about that too in the Tidewater, Nippert News, Chesapeake, Virginia Beach, Suffolk. If everybody in the surrounding area has the tax, um, there is no such thing as driving. I mean, you got to go pretty far to escape the tax. But here in Richmond, you know, you could just go to Henrico or somewhere how that, else. How is that different than Newport News? Newport News, which we're yeah. looking at as a comparable city. Sure, Hampton's on one side, but somebody's not going to go through the tunnel. They're going to go to James City County, which doesn't have the tax. And if Newport News can show us that that's viable. People were saying, well, what about Petersburg? And Petersburg implemented the tax. And I saw in this month, in February, that they have outpaced their forecast for the current budget year for the cigarette tax. More revenues are coming in than they had budgeted. And people were saying, well, it was a decline. I've talked to a couple of people um, who know a lot about budgeting. And they say, yes, you're going to see an immediate responsiveness to the tax. But in about a year to three years, it's going to level out is a consumer tax. So they're going to buy it where it's convenient for them to buy. They're Especially want if they don't have a choice. Then yeah. and now. Um, now, I'll, I'll say something, and, and we can talk a little bit about this, but the convenience stores were a large group that came out and spoke yes. in opposition to this. They did. <clears throat> and I've done some data, and I've got a plenty of convenience stores in the 5th District. A third of their sales come from alcohol. A third of their sales come from cigarette or tobacco product. And the other third is the soda, the chips, or whatever else they stock. Now by tobacco products are, are you, what's the number of cigarettes in there or does that include all That tobacco? includes all the tobacco products okay. and, and I, I haven't all asked of them which are not to taxed. break it down. Okay. Correct. And at least in this proposal they're not all being taxed. What do they advertise on the outside of their buildings? They're basically luring you in to buy those products. This is something that through the Richmond uh, Healthy Corner Store Initiative, you know, we wanted to bring fresh produce into these corner markets. We wanted them to be a local supplier of the, the food pantries that residents need access to in these food deserts. And yet they still would rather cover their buildings with cigarette ads, with alcohol ads, and be located within proximity of schools. And, you know, we got to change that behavior of the local corner store and ask our residents to step up and say, look, we want healthier things to be sold out of this building and to shop and believe in that. But until that changes, of course, Richmond is going to have a higher smoking population than the national average or even the state average. I mean, I saw right now in the state of Virginia, my, it was somewhere around 14% of the state population still smokes. Uh, and in the information that I got from the Richmond City Health District, it's over 20% of the city of Richmond population smokes. That is much, much higher than the national average. I thought we were closer to the national average. The, the data that I got um, is only three years' worth of data, and they're trying, this is through the Center for Disease Control, where they are trying to really analyze smoking behavior by census district census block um, to understand is it concentrated in certain communities certain areas yeah let's touch on this uh, quickly all right so one quick question um, about the tax itself what department would ensure compliance with this tax and do we already have sufficient staffing or what has been I guess put aside for that to manage that process sure so uh, it would be the finance department it would be under revenue administration it's the same staff that is responsible for compliance for people paying the meals tax or people paying the admissions tax. Uh, they have the ability to go out and do uh, somewhat of an audit to validate that the, the uh, 
vendor is providing the right uh, tax to okay. the city. But it is a self-reported tax. So the, the vendor has to say, well, this is what I have sold and this is what I owe the city. And, and in staffing levels last year, the current fiscal year, we fully staffed every vacant position in the finance department with the, with the assumption that it's good to pay $80,000 for a salaried position if in the revenue administration we're able to recover a couple hundred thousand dollars of, of revenues that are not being recovered. So uh, I feel like it could be sufficiently operated. So if you're just joining us, you are listening to WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio, and this is Municipal Mania. We are here talking about the proposed cigarette tax with 5th District Councilman Parker Agilasto. So one name on a lot of people's minds right now is Altria, since they pay something like, was it $17 million in taxes to the city, correct me if I'm wrong on that, and make a lot of charitable contributions. Uh, are there any concerns at all that Altria would withhold those contributions if the tax passes? So a couple of things to be clear. Altria is very philanthropic, mm-hmm. and nobody is is dinging them or criticizing them for their desire to give back to the community, and, and we thank them for that. Uh, secondly, I, I can't validate any kind of tax information because, frankly, city council doesn't has a, have access to individual taxpayer information to save are they paying $17 million? That's something that their staff have, have put out there, and so I, I would expect that that's accurate. Altria is a, is a troubling conundrum in Richmond. Yes, they are the largest real estate holder in the city of Richmond, and we can't annex, so we can't grow, so yes, we've got to make sure that we're maintaining our largest real estate holder. They used to be one of our largest employers, and over the last decade, they've gone from roughly 7,000 employees down to about 3,600 employees. In a decade, they've shed about half of their workforce. That is after the city council helped them with this $12.5 million grant to build the downtown research center that was supposed to bring more employment. And I think the research center is actually doing well. I think mm-hmm. Altria knew that they had to change their business model. And from what I understand, they've already announced that cigarettes are not the future of their business, that they have had to transform their business model and that they've been looking at other less I think the phrase is less harmful. And and they've been making those investments in their facilities uh, to do production here in Richmond, and I think that's fantastic. This is a cigarette tax. This is a tax against a failing industry that we know has health outcomes to it, and it's not a tax against Altria. It's a consumer tax, and therefore, if you choose to buy the pack of Marlboro, sure, that's, that's going to come to Altria. If you choose to pack, buy the pack of Camel, that's not an Altria product. Yeah. And so it, it's across the board, uh, and it creates some equity from the various producers. But at this point, I've heard a lot of people say, well, you know, this will hurt Altria's contribution. Altria is a multi-billion dollar company. Richmond is one of potentially 600 localities to have a cigarette tax. We're a blip yeah. in terms of the, in, the impact to their operating budget. So I don't think that's going to be effect. Do they withhold philanthropic dollars because of it? I don't think so. Would they pick up and relocate because of it? I don't think so. And if they did, and if and if they're threatening to do that because we, city council, are looking to implement good public policy, public policy that's good for public health, public policy that's good for funding schools, and if they did that, I'm not so sure that the public would see that as the right move. Likewise, I hear a lot of my colleagues sitting there saying, well, you know, we'll just get them to give more philanthropically. You can't compel somebody to give more philanthropically. And if you're offering to trade out a potential tax for them to make a philanthropic tax-deductible charitable gift, I mean, are, is that potentially bribery? I don't know. <laughs> right. Are we That's doing, a little bit of a murky area. It's very murky ethically. And so you have to follow public policy and determine from a public policy perspective if it's the right thing to do. Kind of in the same vein, do you think there are concerns that they'll take jobs out of the city since they also are headquartered in Henrico? So in, in and I'm, I'll be clear about this. I think most of the Henrico positions are, are corporate, right. which are probably going to be much higher paying than the line worker who is off Commerce Road. The Commerce Road workers are production. They have moved all of their production facilities to Richmond. There is no other plant. And I don't think that they would open another plant outside of the city limits just because of the capital cost of doing that. The research park, again, it's a huge, very expensive facility that the city did an economic incentive to lure it here. And if they picked up and started moving it elsewhere, it only proves the public cynicism about these 
incentives mm -hmm. for corporations to come and then when the money dries out from the locality they leave they go yeah. that's not the long-term play that i think the council at the time that they made that decision back in 2005 or when it was that certainly would not have been the intent is it true that altria is exempt from the machine and tool tax for their research facility in richmond so the the biotech park exempts most all of whether it's altria or another company that's in that uh, biotech park uh, from certain taxes, and that is a provision of being within the park. Do you have any idea how much money the city might be losing out on by providing that exemption? I haven't run the number, and I think that's something that when we did our budget last year, uh, the biotech park also is exempt um, from paying uh, real estate taxes. And so one of the provisions that we looked to do was to get a payment in lieu of taxes. And there is a partial payment in lieu of taxes that comes from the biotech park. And I think some of it is there to cover machinery and tools as well as real estate. But again, if we tax at a dollar, they're only paying a, a, a small percentage. So why do you think your fellow council people were willing to move forward with a meals tax, but not maybe a cigarette tax? That's a great question. <laughs> and it's probably one that you would be best served asking them. Oh, we probably will. <laughs> but for me, and I voted for the meals tax, for me, the big issue is where are we going to find $750 million to help schools throughout the city and not just do four more schools? This is a big question. It is a question that, as we had the meals tax discussion, is largely about the future of Richmond and whether or not we will keep people in Richmond rather than being able to attract them for the as they age and have a family and children begin to go to school and whether they pull them out at second grade or fifth grade or whatever grade they choose to pull them out, there's still a, a major portion of the city of Richmond's population that are not sending their kids to Richmond Public Schools. And it's for a whole host of reasons, not just buildings. There's plenty of other things that could be fixed operationally, uh, but it's it's a major problem that has to be solved. Every every little bit does count, and including a few million from a cigarette tax. While I don't think this is the time to leave any stone unturned, including budget cuts, what budget items or capital improvement programs um, or capital improvement items do you think we should be looking at for cuts or departments of opportunity that have inefficiencies? So I think it's about priorities, and it always comes down to priorities. And frankly, last year, the city council, through the mayor's proposed budget, we didn't do too much change to the non-departmental. But non-departmental is grant money outside of this agency or that agency. It's almost saying, well, you can do it better than us. At some point, we had grown the non-departmental where it was such a big percentage of our budget. And we were underfunding schools and fire and police but we're giving all this grant money out with what accountability, what outcomes. And the mayor proposed a budget that the council adopted that really carved back a lot of that grant funding. And it, I think a lot of nonprofits felt it. And that's, I feel bad for them because you wouldn't want to necessarily cut somebody's budget 50% yeah. because they lost a grant. Um, but at the same time, they can't be so reliant on city. There's got to be diversification. So that was an area that got cut back. But a lot of these economic development grants are in that non-departmental budget. And we've got to ensure compliance on those. It, next year, the one and a quarter million dollar annual payment to Altria is gonna go away. Great, that should open up some room in the budget. But we still have all these other economic development incentives. That's great as long as they're performing the way that they're supposed to be performing with the number of employees and the average wages and all of that, uh, and producing the tax revenue that was forecasted. We at the city don't have a good measure for judging future revenues, and this is the argument that I've been making for the Redskins, what they projected in 2012, they can't even tell us what today has actually occurred. And that is very frustrating. So how can you ever judge performance? To me, if you can't judge it, if you can't measure it, then you shouldn't be doing it. I would frankly say that the Main Street Station shed and the subsidies that are provided um, to make sure that this event hall and everything is <laughs> working, <laughs> not exactly the, the concept that was originally presented. And frankly, the construction, it's gotten so delayed. 17th Street Marketplace has gotten delayed, so it's, it's not allowing for the train shed to operate at full capacity. So we're, we're being asked to subsidize it. Last year, we were asked to subsidize it with $1.7 million of general fund. $1.7 million that wasn't going to somebody else's budget. Social services, schools, for what? an event hall. We don't need to do that. Let sponsors come in, let other people prove the business model that was the justification for making the investment. So 
cut that. You know, the council last night authorizes Redskins refinancing, and there's still this $500,000 local contribution. Well, you know what? Maybe we need to have a budget amendment that says that the city will not spend a dime of its own resources to fulfill the local contribution. When we have the the police officers out there helping to direct traffic and stuff, we're paying that. We pay that out of the general fund. And the Redskins were saying, no, you can't get any any contribution for that because you would have to do that because of the event. Well, when sports backers host the Monument Avenue 10K, they pay for the police officers at the intersections. I don't know why we don't turn around to the Redskins and slap them with the bill for their events. So we've got to be smart about using our budget for our priorities. Um, I'll, I'll say that there are some other areas that, that I frankly feel that we haven't been doing effectively enough. In the back of the budget book, it's called Schedule A, Appendix A, whatever you want to call it, the list of all the fines and fees of any charges that you're going to incur in the city of Richmond. And it's a long list. <laughs> <laughs> Some light reading. Uh-huh. Those fines and fees haven't been updated in a on a regular basis. And I'll just give a, an example. And granted, the parking enterprise is separate, but a parking ticket in the city of Richmond, the base parking ticket, if you're downtown and you get ticketed, 20 bucks. If you park in a parking garage for the day, it's probably going to cost you 20 25 yeah. $25. And the last time I think the parking ticket was increased was when Tim Kaine was mayor. So, I mean, <laughs> and we've wow. got more yeah. and more people, and it's not, they they reduced the parking tickets because they, they wanted people to come downtown. Well, okay, people are downtown. I don't think it's that people aren't downtown. It's just that there's just nowhere to park. It's nowhere to park. <laughs> um, and I'm not, that, like, that might be a bad example. Yeah. Um, no, it's actually but, a good one. Yeah, but good one. Um, the Free Press reported that... Our code, the city code, says for your vehicle registration, you're supposed to pay what the state charges. And we tell DMV what to collect on behalf of the city of Richmond. Well, they had given DMV a number that wasn't equal to the state. So, But it was what was in our Schedule A. And we hadn't kept up with the state, which was per our code. And I think the Free Press reported that that was about a million dollars of revenue that we didn't collect from people who own cars in the city of Richmond because there was, what, a clerical error? It's a million dollars. That's crazy. Let's clean it up in the Schedule A. That's an, a great area to, to clean up the budget. I'll also say, frankly, I think that there's some areas that could do better, so I wouldn't necessarily look to cut their program. Uh, but there there needs to be more of a tie between the budget resource allocation and performance and outcome. Output. Mm-hmm. You know, the, let's just say code enforcement. Every day you're supposed to do, you know, 10 inspections. Well, I could go to one block and go to 10 houses on one block and do my inspections pretty quickly. Or... I could actually target those that are the worst and really try to make a difference even if they're geographically spread out. And I think it's more about getting the outcomes. What do you want to make sure that people take away from the cigarette tax? And what are you looking for the community to do to support this legislation? The takeaway is that while it's not necessarily what people want to do, it's what we have to do. We have been talking about Richmond Public Schools and the underfunding of the facilities for way too long. We have talked, I had a district meeting on Thursday night and Superintendent Cameras was there and I had a mother literally in tears with her five-year-old daughter trying to comfort her. I wanted to reach out to her. It was so heart-wrenching and her statement was, I don't want the Taj Mahal for my daughter. I just want a building that she's not going to be exposed to cockroaches and uh, rat feces. And to me, like, that's stuff that we should be able to fix without having to necessarily spend. We don't have to build a whole new building, and she's not asking for a new building. But we need these maintenance monies to get in there and to really do some overhauls now so that these parents are not afraid that because their child is going to be in Richmond Public Schools, it's going to create a lifelong health hazard that is going to put them back from a learning curve. That's the argument for the meals tax, but the meals tax is going to new construction. We haven't yet solved this maintenance issue that we have already for the, the 40 other schools. Mm-hmm. And when are they going to get it? And I'm waiting on a list from the school um, superintendent on projects that are less than $5 million. Yeah, you mentioned that before, yes. So that we can see how many could, in fact, get accomplished with this money now. Fast, right now. Fast. Yeah. Cash infusion now. And it might not be there in 20 years, but it's now. And... The community, I've had so many people reach out to me and say, that is the right thing to do. It's good public health policy. It's good funding for the schools. Even if it goes away, get it while it's there. And all I say to them is write to Mayor Stoney. If you live in the 5th District, you know I'm the patron of the paper. You don't have to convince me. Yeah. 
you don't need to flood my inbox with another yeah. 600 emails. Yeah, yeah. You need to advise Mayor Stoney because he also represents you in the 5th District. You live outside of the 5th District, certainly contact the mayor, but also contact your elected official and voice your opinion to them. They will represent the people if they hear from the people. And come down to the Finance Committee meeting March 15th at uh, 6 p.m., no, 5 p.m., and then it, it may come back to the city council after that. Yeah. Uh, I will say with Mayor Stoney, he and I have talked a lot about this. He's not opposed to it. What he didn't like in the original proposal that I had for, put forth is that we could maybe leverage it for debt. He didn't like that. But he has said if it can go to the cash payments through the general fund, that he would not oppose it. And I appreciate the mayor being public about that. But what I want is the mayor to say, instead of not oppose, let's say support. Let's get this across the finish line, and let's really begin to put the monies into the schools now. And that's all I can ask, and that's what all the advocates that have come down to city council to express their opinion for so many years have asked. And it's not the first time, and it's certainly not going to be the last time that I'm going to try to find money for schools. You've been listening to our discussion with Councilman Parker Agilasto of the 5th District to talk about his proposed cigarette tax. It's been a pleasure, and we hope you'll join us again. Thank you so much for coming on our show. Thank you all for keeping the community informed. This is 5th District Councilman Parker Agilasto, and you're listening to Municipal Mania on WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond. So before Mr. Agilasto came on, the three of us decided to have a little roundtable discussion about the cigarette tax and cigarettes in general. So here it is. Enjoy. All right. So I think uh, probably a pretty good place to start with the cigarette tax is on some of our opinions. And I know each of us have kind of a different take on it, probably. I think, Francesca, yours probably is more different than both of ours combined, at least. So if we want to start with you. We can. Um, It's not that I'm opposed to it. I just have some concerns Mm -hmm. um, as it relates to how cigarette tax, as well as just the cigarette industry the tobacco industry in general targets lower income smokers from a consumer perspective. Uh, lower income smokers um, tend to suffer from nicotine addiction um, more so. My concern is that, which is I'm sure probably why Jones and Trammell both um, stepped up and said no to the original vote. You know, it's tough because addiction is not something that I guess will be talked about in this conversation about the tax. But I think that's why it feels kind of awkward for me because we're essentially benefiting from people's addiction and it's going to disproportionately affect a certain group of people to the benefit of everyone else. And because that's not noted or it's not mentioned, it just feels wrong. I'm not sure what can be done about it. For some of the same reasons I heard, I've heard some different people, I've heard Kim actually speak up on it at a local town hall that we just, that just happened. And she said, well, you know, cigarette taxes affect certain people because folks can, they really don't want to pay that extra 80 cent per pack. They can drive to a different locality that doesn't have the cigarette tax outside of the Richmond city limits, which is a good point. Then if you can't drive or you don't have access to transportation or it's going to cost you more than 80 cents to ride the bus or catch an Uber or whatever closer to somewhere of your convenience to purchase it outside of the Richmond city limits, that's an issue. So, Well, I think something that like Cynthia Newbile, um, 7th District Councilwoman, that she really brought up that I hadn't really thought about before was just the proportion of what 80 cents is on something that costs $4.69 yeah. versus is a one and a half percent meals tax and that it disproportionately is is more painful on the wallet when you look at yeah i mean it's 80 cents but it's also 80 cents on something that's a very small number yeah. so it's a pretty high percentage on the tax i think if i can use a calculator which i just tried we'll see if this number's right 17 <laughs> percent yeah is that tax whereas we're talking about with the meals tax collectively from the state number the city number and the new city number is less than 13 percent total and and on something that because of the nature of what it is because of its addictive nature you know you have smokers that do one to more packs a day my question becomes you know it is just on a cigarette tax so when we look at the fact that people can decide to go and purchase if they want to there's the option to say they want to purchase loose tobacco to roll tobacco and or roll cigarettes rather or they could use other forms of products such as the the black and milds or chew whatever the case may be but I'm also I've never been a smoker so I don't know if that's really a realistic option. I'm not a smoker either but during um some of my studies at JMU I was a 
substance abuse major and psychology major. And a part of a lot of the studies show, especially with nicotine by it being so addictive with its nature, the addiction itself does not change or does not vary from person to person. It's the way that their socioeconomic status can affect their addiction. And so when you have older smokers, for instance, elderly smokers, they're going to be far less likely to switch from their traditional cigarette that they've smoked for a long time to then switch to black and miles or switch to loose tobacco to roll. Studies have shown that millennials are more willing to switch from a cigarette or even switch from brand to brand. If the brand that they want is not available, they'll have a backup or they'll have something else that they can go to. But that's not necessarily the case for elderly smokers as well as low-income smokers. They're used to a certain brand. It costs a certain thing. And when you start taking them out of that comfort zone, you know, if a store is out of their brand, they're not going to say, well, you know, I guess give me a pack of those Virginia Slims and they smoke menthols. Like, that's not that's not what they're going to do. They're going to go to the next store. Well, Melissa, you, you're now our resident cigarette smoker expert as a, a recovered smoker. So, you call it. yeah, so uh, my feeling about a cigarette tax, I have to admit, is purely emotional and based on experience as a smoker, but I'm not a low-income smoker. Let's just say that outright. So my husband and I both started smoking at the age of 12. I had access to cigarettes because my best friend at the time's parents worked for Philip Morris, and they were just in the house all the time, and we thought we were just going to be some rebellious little only (laughs) children and go in the woods and smoke cigarettes all the time, and who knew we'd get hooked at age 12? And by the time I was in high school, I was smoking half a pack a day, and by the time I was in college, I was at a pack a day, and by the time I was in my 20s, I was a pack and a half. So my husband started around the same time because his mother smoked, and it's just constantly around it. And it was easy to get cigarettes. And so also he looked older, so he could just walk into convenience stores. This was, you know, early 90s. And the ID thing wasn't as big in small towns and and bodegas. And, you know, they just didn't care as much. And so he smoked a lot, a lot, a lot more than I did. But then he turned 32 and got cancer. And then he got cancer again two years later. And I can't prove that the cigarettes did it. It may have been the asbestos that he worked with as a, a flooring installer. But the moment that we found his cancer diagnosis, diagnosis out, we quit smoking. And since then, I have been very, very, very anti-cigarette. And I know it's a dying source of revenue, and I say tax it into the ground. Mm. And I understand. I do. I absolutely understand because I'm somebody who feels immense empathy for for folks who elderly who have been smoking forever that are, aren't going to change their brand. It is going to affect their pocket. You know, lower income folks, the folks in Southside who rely on um, jobs from Philip Morris Altria. I absolutely understand that. And it kind of rips me apart a little bit to have to say what I say right now. But I absolutely support taxing this crap into the ground. So, and I, I kind of want to put together the health point and then also a little bit of like the lower income side of things. You know, right now we have a, a health care, health insurance situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lower income people are also more inclined to not have access to like preventative health care and regular health care. At what point is, is there a level of like paternalism of saying, well, hopefully people will be deterred from smoking and because it yeah. costs too much and there's going to be less of a health issue for them if, if they do quit but do studies show that they actually quit of course it's i don't know i just kind of have like a i do have like a tor torn feeling on it and very it, ambivalent it's an addiction yeah. you know not everybody is going to be lucky like me and say oh i can just quit you know my husband yeah. had to switch to vaping you know and that's what got him through and now he's at the point where he's no nicotine at all but he just still needs the feeling yeah yeah of smoking mm-hmm. it's that it affects you that hard. Yeah. It's you know, not just the nicotine that, that affects people. And I think that's one of the things that people don't realize about addiction, but exp- especially nicotine addiction. You become addicted to just the motion. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's an oral fixation. It's a lot of things that social go. Social fixation. Yeah, like, social fixation. Yeah, it's a lot of things that go with that. And I do understand um, that's that point. Um, I remember reading a study. It's probably a few years outdated now. And they were talking about, as the price of cigarettes continue to increase and that's, you know, causing so much cross-state lines, theft, interstate interstate commerce, you know, theft with people driving to one place and buying illegal cigarettes and back and forth because the price is so high. And I wonder if, you know, with the health reasons, people know that cigarettes are terrible, but they still smoke them. And even if you tax the bejesus out of them, you're still going to have people that are going to, you know, not buy their groceries or not buy, not pay something else to feed that addiction because of what it is. Right, because there's not always a replacement. And I yeah. know in a lot of uh, 
addiction therapies that there's always some sort of replacement mm-hmm. for the addiction. You do. You replace for, one thing for another. Yeah. And for me, for a while, it Jesus. was. Yeah, like, there you Jesus. Go. Exactly. 12 steps. 12 steps. Or, or, uh, or coffee. Or coffee. I was about <laughs> to say, so when I stopped smoking, it was, I replaced it with coffee and gum and mints. Yep. And then I realized how annoying I was, chomp, chomp, chomping, <laughs> and how, like, tweaked out I was on all the coffee I was drinking. Mm-hmm. And then I just stopped. But not everybody's that lucky. Like, not everybody can just do that. And so what do we do if we've taxed people enough and they stop smoking and there's no replacement for them? Is that a a tangent type of question? Is that even relevant? But these are the things, like, my brain goes to all of those different locations. What do we think kind of getting off of of a more emotional side of things and really opinion-based? Maybe I'm the tinfoil hat person, but what about... Altria and Philip Morris's role in this, like, do we see an economic impact to people as far as like jobs, jobs being lost? I know that's something that people and Reva Trammell specifically in the Eighth District, she's very adamant that Altria has a lot of financial impact in her community because of how many jobs they supply. Yeah. And on one hand, you know, I can definitely see how a company that pays the city a, a ton of taxes might not appreciate this kind of thing. But at the same time, I also see that their CEO just recently said yet again that they are actively trying to reduce the number of cigarette smokers because they are going towards those newer technologies such as vaping and other alternatives. So on one hand, I think it's also a self-imposed dying structure. Mm -hmm. So are they really going to have that same economic concern? I know they were at the committee meeting a handful of people that work for Altria, Philip Morris, they're obviously against this. Yeah. Um, and they even though acknowledge that, hey, you know, this is not a sustainable source of revenue for the city because mm-hmm. cigarettes are a dying thing, so you shouldn't tax these, which I thought was an odd circular logic and from that. It, it's definitely because I, I can't even believe that we're at a place in our society where cigarettes are a dying source of revenue. Like, cigarettes have been such a huge source of revenue for so long. Oh, for Virginia especially. This yeah. is uh, It was our cash crop for ever and ever and ever. Since we've... Since the beginning of Virginia. Yeah. Throwback fourth grade history. Yeah. Thank right. you, Melissa. Uh-huh. You're welcome. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's that in and of itself lends to, I was having this conversation with an older person the other day, and they said, I said, you know, va- I think vaping is really going to take cigarette smoking and just tobacco products and others smoking too, to another, you know, place. And, you know, he said, oh, no, no, people are never going to give up their cigarettes. And I said, no, they'll just eventually die. (laughs) But millennials are running to vaping and and other options with the quickness because. Well, how many, how many. It's another option. People in their teens and 20s right now, do you know or have heard of that are thinking, yeah, I'm totally going to pick up that cancer stick. Not too many people no. because of the type of media coverage and things that, that you've you've had now and that so many health risks. And, and the scientific information that's yeah. been out there for so long. Smoking bans in restaurants. And they drill it into you in school, too, in health class that mm-hmm. this is a bad thing. So it is dying. It's I think eventually we will have a generation of people who just don't smoke and it would never cross their mind. Yeah. Um, Do you all think it's going to have as big of like a – economic impact to the convenience store owners that they attest to? Hmm. I now, pure opinion, I I think it's a little bit of a melodrama. (laughs) How so? Because they can make up for that with vaping sales. They can absolutely make up with it with alternative, uh, you know, alternatives to cigarettes. Yeah. In my mind, this is what I think. If, uh, If they replace it with all of the vaping things. Yeah then they might stand a chance. But I'm not a convenience store owner. I don't actually yeah. know what their, you know, what their dependency on cigarette sales is. You know, to keep going, you know, as opposed to gas. Well, I think specifically cigarette sales. Snacks, the numbers, et The numbers that we've heard, I mean, you, even compared to that, you know, they do say a high proportion of their sales are coming from tobacco products. Yeah. I'd be curious it's to know. It's not dying revenue then. Yeah, I right. mean. I for think them. in the long term it might be for, like, the bigger Altria and everything like that. Yeah. But it's still – it was, like, a 30%, 40% of their revenue that they set or at least attested to. Okay. I'm not, like, asking them, like, show me the receipts or anything like that. <laughs> like, I'm going to need your tax returns really quick. Thank you. <laughs> um, but that's the number they said. But also 
that was very broad of all tobacco products sold in their store. Yeah. So I don't know exactly, you know, the people that walk in and like buy a Dutch. Yeah. Buy black and milds, you know, and especially in some of the lower income areas, those might even be more prevalent than even just I'm sure they cigarettes are cigarettes specifically. So I'd love to know what the split is between yeah. all of those revenues to really understand how much of an economic impact it's going to have yeah. on small business owners. Also, though, I don't think it's going to be hurting Altria, but so much. Come on. This is a multi-billion dollar corporation. Well, yeah. And they're admittedly trying to kill out this right. Yeah, which itself. I think is really, I so mean, when they're crying, that's interesting in and of itself. You know, financial pain, it's hard for me to accept that, hmm. especially when they're working on things like, you know, what's going to happen during the decriminalization of Marijuana. marijuana, yeah. You know they're going to get on that train. Mm-hmm. If it ever happens in Virginia, they're going to get on that train. They're, they're already they're already strategizing. They're testing it. Yeah, exactly. So they're going to have a replacement. Yeah. Because you know people are going to be all over that. Oh, I can buy it legally, and you can tax that, and it will go benefit yeah. whatever. Can go to a dispensary Great. instead of whatever it is people do. Altria's <laughs> argument about maybe their wallets hurting doesn't really resonate with me. I yeah. I would like to hear more, I think, from convenience store owners coming up with facts and statistics, That's not just. Oh, sorry. Okay. That is my. You sound like a Geico commercial. <laughs> 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 sorry, I was looking something up. I was curious. I'm glad it wasn't like Pornhub. Oh, that would have been awesome. No, we are RVA dirt. <laughs> dirty up Dirty. What I was looking up is in September 2017, I wanted to see the actual number because we've been talking about how, like, Philip Morris and Altria, maybe they won't have as much of a financial impact on them. And so it was then that they actually pledged a billion dollars against the fight of traditional burn-based smoking, which is really the cigarettes. And so it's $80 million over the next 12 years to a nonprofit organization called the Foundation for a Smoke-Free World. Which I think is really interesting, especially if it's supposedly one of their things that we think or our perception is it's going to hurt them so badly and it's going to hurt mm-hmm. them so badly. That's kind of the I don't know, fear-mongering or the fear-concern where you now have, though, even if they come and say this is a negative thing for us, at the same time, it's a company that is actively investing kind of a lot of money into killing something that we're sitting here saying we shouldn't tax and get our cut of it while it's still around at least. Yeah, and and we're a lot of people are saying we shouldn't because it's going to drive them away, mm-hmm. and they're actively, which tells you one, they've already got a backup plan, mm-hmm. <laughs> already in place, and clearly they're not really that concerned about it. You know, so this actually goes on to say that they're pushing into the vaping market. In the first quarter of 2017, their cigarette shipment volumes fell by 11.5% year over year mm. on cigarettes and heated tobacco shipments outside Huge. of like vaping. That's massive. Mm. So part of me also says, like, how terrible would it be PR-wise and perception-wise where you're trying to break into a market that really goes towards with vaping millennials? I mean, how many people have had one of their millennial friends, myself included, I can talk to how many of my friends will sit there and immediately say, like, I'm never eating at Papa John's again because of that one thing that happened that one time. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I did. Amazon, I all I of did. them. Like, how many How many yep. different, like, H&M, I think we had, like, an issue yep. with them. I and mean, you think mm-hmm. a company would come out and say, I'm not going to give charitable donations because you guys are imposing a cigarette tax? Yeah, they'd eat that real quick. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, if that's the market they're pushing into, I think it would be a, a really bizarre PR move for them to do that. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I agree. I don't think that's I would. Let's hope they don't <laughs> Right. put it that way. So outside of that, I mean, we've kind of run through a lot of the different arguments about the cigarette tax and just all of our opinions on them. Um, I know personally, I just feel like at some point this is yet another drop in the bucket of some way that we can start addressing facilities needs immediately with some kind of cash fund. I don't think we should use it for bonding. That doesn't make sense to me. I also, though, was not opposed to the meals tax by any means. You know, I felt that there has to be other things, such as budget cuts, trimming the fat on maybe the capital improvement program, different places we need to look for this revenue. But in the meantime, when you look and you see all of the problems that are in the schools, there has to be something that's an act now point. Mm -hmm. And to me, both of these revenue streams were them. And while I wish that our city council and our General Assembly would do things a little bit different sometimes. At the same time, I feel like it's our responsibility as constituents to hold them accountable for if you don't continue to find the funding, if you don't continue to make the budget cuts, we're going to have a problem come election time. So that's where I can get to a place where I'm in favor of both of these taxes. But 
I think it's interesting, and tell me what you guys think about the people who might have voted for council on council for the meals tax with a lot of the same arguments that we just ran through that the business owners of the restaurants that they used. And now those same exact arguments are sufficient to protect people from a cigarette tax. Like, what do you guys think about that? Is that a, is that weird to anybody else but me or? Oh, it's so funny, but I just. uh, Interesting mm. how people come to the conclusion that one thing is totally acceptable and the other thing is not an acceptable form of revenue. Because, like, they discussed the cigarette tax last year in 2017. It was Parker again. Uh, proposed it, Councilman Angelasto, and him and Chilbert were the only people, Chilbert, third district councilman, Chris Hilbert, because somehow we haven't mentioned him yet. Mm-hmm. Um, we make sure everybody knows on board with Netflix and Chilbert as a name, but they were the only people that ended up voting in favor of it or that said motion that they would even be in favor of it. Everybody else said no, which is where part of my meals tax side of things was thinking, well, you know, I already know that the cigarette tax is probably going to be a no. But I was kind of hoping that maybe this year, is it naive to say I wish things would be different? I wish that maybe people had a little bit more pressure. Hmm. Like, what's still holding them strong voting against this? I don't know. I think... Is it Altria? I think it is. Oh, I, come on, yeah. I mean, I'm just saying... I'm like, waiting to... Can, I don't... Can I, say uh, it? Can I, say I know. It? Okay, 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 okay. So, you know... It's the overlord. Can we see some, you know, campaign funds, you know, receipts... So, you know, I'm sure that that probably is. When you look up on VPAP, which you can, yeah. um, Reva's gotten about $2,000 in the 2016 election, election mm-hmm. from Philip Morris, Altria, whatever. A handful of other council people have gotten $500. In the scheme of things, is $500 buying a vote? It, it, it shouldn't be because that's like. Oh, that is $500 from, from Altria. If $500, if a $500 donation from Altria can buy your vote on a topic like this, mm, we are in trouble. <laughs> yes. We are got, so got a in trouble. have got $500 to start saving up for because yes. uh, I've got some votes I need now. We are so in trouble. <laughs> oh, man. If that's how easy it is, I'm just going to dip into my savings and see if we can have like a little pug park or something. Oh, my gosh. Oh, dear. Right? I, I mean, I think that Who there... can I bribe for a pug park with my $500? Because that's something I've been seeing a lot online is showing the, the receipts on who made what donations, and they're not the biggest amounts. Um, so is it the bigger concern of everywhere else that Altria has their fingers into yeah. dirty little fingers? <laughs> yeah, it might Sorry. be. I mean, RVA dirty little fingers. RVA dirty Anyone? Little Hashtag. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't. I think it could be because people don't like to talk. They don't. They don't like to talk about that. But I mean, it, it definitely could be. And even if it's only five hundred dollars, you know, people don't like to upset the big guy in the room i think that even still at some point you were elected to make the best decision for your district and if the information changes the situation changes what have you you're still obligated to make the best decision for your district and the city as a whole tax it and move on or don't tax it and give me something else that's my that's my only issue with all of Mm -hmm. this you know, you tell somebody this needs to happen, and we all know that it needs to happen. The schools are falling apart. You know, there's all types of stuff. I mean, it's just the schools are in a condition where we need to do something yesterday. You know, and people are saying, well, you know, we don't want to raise the taxes. Well, then where are you going to find the money in the budget to shave down to fix it? And I'm not saying that there's not places in the budget to do that. I heard Paul Goldman gave 39 low-hanging fruits of things he'd like to see cut, you know, in the budget that would create 12 or 16 or 14 million, whichever number he decided on at the moment. But the point is, that's not nearly enough, but it's some, it's a little bit, still change change in the the bucket. But if you're going to knock down something, a a proposal, let's hear something else that you have. Because, you know, you're standing up saying, oh, the kids can't wait. The kids can't wait. And they can't. But then when we're trying to get this thing off the board, off the floor, you're like, mm, but just not that. Right. Okay, so give me a viable alternative. All right, y'all, what do you think? Are you good with taxing ciggies to help fund our schools that are in dire straits, or do you have ideas on other methods of finding the cash? Let us know. Hit us up on Facebook or Twitter at RVA Dirt to start the conversation. You have been listening to RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania on WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond. Tune in next week when we'll talk school board. You might want to strap in for that one. It could get bumpy down that road.